Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. Okay, I'd like to welcome Joe Spelina to the Philosophy podcast. Joe is one of the most interesting people in the sport. Uh, and let me tell you why. First of all, there's nobody that's done more winning than this guy. He is the head coach at Stony Brook. He has 123 and 21 record at Stony Brook. He came from Adelphi where he won three straight national championships as the head women's coach there. He won two national championships as a player at Adelphi. He's won a MLL world championship as the head coach for the Long Island Lizards and was coach of the year in 2012. He's got youth teams. I don't know how you coach so many teams, but you coach the, the team 91 crush team, which, you know, goes down in history as one of the greatest youth teams ever. And, and the, and the 20, what, 2023 bandits yep. that are uh, among the, you know, just won the world series of lacrosse at that uh, seventh rising, I guess they're eighth graders now uh, level. And, uh, and you coach your daughter's teams. I don't know how you coach so many teams. Um, you must just have an unbelievable support system and ability to schedule. Um, but, uh, and you're uh, coaching with, uh, as an assistant to Jenny Levy on the USA team, which is awesome. So, listen, Joe, couldn't be more excited to chat with you today and really excited to learn uh, your thoughts and philosophies. And, uh, and uh, welcome. Thanks for having me, man. I'm fired up. This is going to be great. Yeah, no doubt. You know, one of the things that I've noticed a ton is just how much great lacrosse you've been around. And I want to start with Stony Brook women's lacrosse. You've coached 10 Tawaraton nominees, which is a testament to some great kids in your program. But I also believe that if you dig into it a little bit, having watched you know a fair amount of Stony Brook film, and watch some of your players like Kylie O'Miller and, and a bunch of these Tawaraton nominees that it's a testament to your commitment to developing skill and creativity. And I just would really love to start off our podcast talking about that. Yeah, I think that's, you know, to us, obviously, biggest part of the foundation has got to be they got to love what they, they got to love the game, you know. But the other part is the devotion to the skill work is something on every level that is paramount. To me, you know, with at Stony Brook, it, it's it's our staple. It really is. It's one of the things that we lean on the heaviest. The largest portion of our practice, um, and breaking it up in segments, our largest segment of you know a portion or period of practice is all skill development and and skill work and repetition, and different kind of skill work and and some of it's basic. Um, we'll always start basic every day. Our foundation and we and we build off of that and. Um, you know, and in every different part of the skill development, you know, in, in their bodies being positioned in different ways, um, bad pass drills, um, really every little nook and cranny. And it all boils back down to the precision passing and being able to play fast. You don't necessarily have to be fast as a runner or athlete to, to play fast, you know. So I think that's one of the things that we really hang our hat on heavily and, you know, to stay uniform, I think, I, again, I think the foundation of every team I coach 
um, the, the formula is very, very similar. I don't think it's, it's very different. It's, you know, the crush kids, which you mentioned, I've had them all since they're six years old. And now they're going to be the brightest new stars, uh, you know, coming out of, out of high school over the next couple of years. And our practices, we practiced, you know, last night, it was the same thing. The first hour was just all basic skill work, shootings, you know, you know, hand positioning, really breaking down the mechanics. You come to a Stony Brook practice and our, you know, we're, we're guaranteed an hour a day, probably in more of an hour and 20 of all skill work and stick work. Um, you know, even to the point on the pro level where, you know, guys used to get aggravated that I'd want to be doing so much time, you know, with just basically being able to move and, and passing. They wanted to get right into six on six. And it was something that I always, hey, you know, we're going to do six line or we're going to do this. You know, we're going to do the five point. We're going to, you know, just basic, you know, because at the end of the day, it, it really comes down to that. You know, you talk about one of the things we pride ourselves on is the turnover battle. Every game is something we have to win. and you know, self-inflicted wounds, avoiding self-inflicted wounds. And so much if you watch any game, it's basic skill work. You know, just guy push passing or instead of snapping their hands through and, you know, just a lot of that stuff that I just think it's really tough to be a good lacrosse team if your skill work isn't through the roof. I think it's, it's impossible to be an elite lacrosse team if your stick work isn't through the roof. So, you know, you can say all that, but then you have to actually devote yourself to that. So, right. you know, I think that's something that we are – we put right there front and center. I know that there's a fair amount of skill work that's done by a lot of, you know, different programs. And like you said, sometimes you can say you're going to do it or you think you're doing it. But I look at a lot of the skill work that's out there. And I think that there's major diminishing returns when it comes down to, you know, um, skill work that's not done at speed, skill work that's not done against defenders, skill work done when it's not, you know, there's, there's, there's warm-up skills and stuff, but then once you kind of get into it, um, you know, you better have some decision-making going on with your skills because it's almost like a different skill when you have to decide what skill to use or who's open as opposed to just partner passing all day. Uh, there's no doubt. Absolutely. I mean, you nailed it right there, and that's something we talk about all and, – and, but, you know, a lot of – the best coach is the best thief, right? Like, a lot of times I'll go and watch, you know, like a soccer practice or – just different possession drills that, that soccer teams run or, you know, and, and I'm like, all right, I can turn that into a lacrosse drill. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, whether it be our defense, keeping it away from the offense. So, you know, you work on your riding and you got your, your defensive players who, you know, generally it's like, you know, like a wide, you know, a, a cornerback in football would be a wide receiver if they had better hands, you know? So a lot of times okay. one of the things that we work on, you know, with our defenders is putting them in a position to make decisions, not just chasing the offense around. And then because, you know, then here you are in a game with a self-inflicted wound because your defense yeah. is clear. So I've been down that road. So it's one of those things where, you know, I think it's reversed different situations, um, you know, them being able to make different – and we'll add different things into a possession drill, whether it be, you know, well, every pass that you need a face dodge and a ball fake before you can make every pass within a possession drill. It's got to be out of your stick in, in you know, in, in less than two cradles within all those movements. So now you have to – you know, people position themselves where to move off ball. And now that you have to make quick skill work. Then we'll do one-handed, you know, same thing. You know, maybe one cradle and a, and a pass one-handed. You know, or every pass has to be behind the back. Or every pass has to be around the world. You know, or just – or every pass has to be made with a switch. Just different things that you build off of your basic foundation. Um, and I just think it gets – puts the kid in so many positions that I think one of the things we speak about all the time is unconscious, high-level decision-making. So I think when the skills can match that, 
your brain and your understanding of the game, um, you know, there's no situation you're going to be in within a game where if you're getting cross-checked or switch, having to switch hands or having to, you know, throw a little twister or a lever pass over somebody's head, all those different things, you can, you know, th th your player's in a position to have some experience making that play. Whether they make it or not, it doesn't always happen. Right. But for the most part, you at least have prepared them, you know, to have the confidence to do that. When you say possession drills, are you referring to, like, keep-away type drills? Yeah, so like we'll play possession, which is basically in a designated area. Some some days it's really really small with small numbers. Some days it's really really small with bigger numbers. Some days it's on a bigger you know piece with with larger numbers. So I think that, like that's probably the last piece of skill skill work we do before we then trans you know transition into our transition part of practice, which is odd numbers to yeah. goals stuff like that. But yeah, so I've been um, I grew up a soccer player and I've kind of employed soccer drills is what you're referring to those are the possession drills and it's, it's basically off the ball movement and 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 retaining possession the whole the entire game of soccer is all about can you you know know what you're going to do with the ball before you get it and complete a pass to somebody that's the whole that's the whole game and I've been coaching I can't remember if I told you but I'm coaching high school girls across this year yeah so, you told me that's awesome yeah, I love and, uh, so I've been out at our practices and I've been doing because we only have an hour and a half a week I, I literally, I've been doing the majority of what I've been doing is, is, is possession drills. I call them keep away, but I, I do believe that those drills are by far the best way to scale what you just said. What'd you call it? Uh, high level decision-making. What you, what was the other word? You high level it? unconscious decision. Unconscious decision-making because you get so many reps of you get the ball, someone's on you. And it's an opportunity to buy time, to dodge, to evaluate who's open. You can create movements and motions like, um, you know, picking or off the ball picking or seals or shallow cuts. You can make them uneven or all even. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited to hear that you're doing that. Um, I, I really believe that, you know, when you say, all right, every, you, have to, you, know, you have to split dodge to your weak hand every time. And it makes them just move and then they can always roll back, but you're making them learn how to do something they might not otherwise do. Or, you know, I want every pass has to either be a behind the back pass or a behind the back fake or something along those lines that gets them thinking in that. And, and when it becomes unconscious, then you've really got something that's really cool. The Philocrosophy podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 coaches training program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. I want to talk a little bit about shooting. Yeah. Yep. You guys, you must put a lot of time into shooting. I was watching your guys' um, film from uh, Stony Brook Penn, you know, at the playoff game, and I just watched Kylie O'Miller, like, on an eight-meter – on her natural side hash and she like sold like she was going to go. And then she stuck her right foot in the ground and cut back and just ripped a low to high screenshot. And it was one of the sickest shots I've ever seen. So, you know, I want to talk about shooting. I want to talk about skill. I want to talk about Kylie. Yep. All right. So I, we dedicate a lot of time to shooting. I actually, you know, we run a, a sniper school on the Island where we, we, you know, we're now trying to get as many kids and teach kids proper ways of shooting. Um, you know, and I think my thoughts with a lot of this stuff have evolved through the years. I actually witnessed uh, Ronnie Caputo was actually doing a shooting clinic up at, the, at a place not too far away. And this was years ago. He probably doesn't even remember, you know, the old guy he is. 
but it was it was something where I guess he you know he brought a lot of the Duke drills and um, they were they were shooting step downs with their front foot stuck on the crease and I thought it was so odd and I'm I'm thinking like what is you know they're, and they're shooting from you know their their oh, front foot yeah. and everything is you know two three yards off right and they're just stepping down and hammering corners. And I just, I remember from that point on, my brain just started to go. And I, it's something that now, and it makes so much sense on so many levels. And I do it with my team every day. We'll start with our step downs. You know, we go out a little bit further because, you know, A, we don't have our hats on. So, you know, you're stepping down from the crease, a rebound's coming off the post. And we have two people going righty lefties at the same time. And then they cycle out. So it's step down, boom, roll out. So, we do that every day, and it makes so much sense if you think about it because, you know, I remember as a younger coach, you know, you have guys, whether you're doing step down or everything was from, from further out, like almost like game distance. Yeah. You know, and it's almost like coming onto a basketball court and warming up with half-court half court shots. And I, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, this is like really the simplest thing, but the smartest thing as well because, you know, you talk about, you know, as lacrosse players, nothing better than being dialed in, right? Like I know, you know, my guy – my older son, the day before a game, whether it's, you know, 10 o'clock at night or 4.30 after practice, whatever it is, we're in the backyard and he had, it's just his thing. He's got to be dialed. Like he just, he'll sleep better. Every, he wakes up better. It's all mental, but it's all part of it. And we know good shooters, yeah. you know, a big part of it's between your ears. So, you know, it's something that now we've evolved with where, you know, and we have so many different styles, different positions, you know, we, we pull a lot of our shooting drills towards our offense. You know, I think a lot of people do generic shooting drills and then, but they don't really tie in with the type of offense they're running. And right. where, where a majority of, you know, I study where a majority of our shots take place, whether it be, you know, we see a lot of zones, which is great because we are really a passing team. And, you know, and we love playing against zones. So it's, and we play against our zone every day in practice, which is right. what, what better practice than that, you know? So. Yeah. You know, so we, we, we've now evolved into so many different style shooting drills with high reps, but really a lot of form shooting, Jamie. Yeah, so I want to talk about that because um, just so, so the listeners, I've seen uh, Duke do that. I remember Andy Shea kind of talking about the same thing five or ten years ago where he, he did the same thing, but he was shooting on the back of the net. So the ball would just kind of bounce right back to you. And, and it was like, you know, part of the, part of the deal is, uh, is literally just to swing. It's working on your swing and your actual how much velocity you can generate rather than when you get farther away, all of a sudden, you know, you're looking to pick corners and all this and, and, and you might take something off of it so you don't miss and get yelled at or whatever. Now it's just like, hey, I just want you to like learn how to swing. And I do think in women's lacrosse, particularly girls lacrosse, because of the sticks they grow up playing with that might not have the kind of hold that a Division One player might have. They don't really learn how to swing and get their – whole body into it so and I think the same thing is true in men's lacrosse that you can you know just learning how to swing hard is something that really makes a difference and plus you get way more reps right because I mean you don't have to wait for the ball to go in and the next guy to step up it's it's just more efficient no doubt I think that's the biggest thing so like one of the things we do like with the form shooting is again it's one of those things you could say hey you know or or you can really you know, make the kids be able to critique each other and I think that's the biggest thing that we talk about even like when we run clinics with kids when you're on, you're on. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if it, whatever's going on, if you're dialed in and you're, and you're hammering it and you're locked in and your stick's locked in and you're confident, you're going to hit those spots. But can you fix yourself if you're not having a great shooting 
day? Or does a bad shooting day turn into the worst shooting day? So the only way you can really be able to successfully do that is to know what works for you and know under, and understand each of the bullets that make you a good shooter. Um, you know, so we actually have cues with our kids. You know, we, we talk about our form shooting with the front elbow up, you know, hand positioning, hands off our body. One of the biggest things we see with kids all the time is, you know, they don't get their hands off their body. So they're not reaching back as far because if your elbows attack or, or touching your body, you can only bring your hands back so far. If your hands or elbows are off your body, now you can bring your arms back and give you more power. Everything that goes along with being yeah. a consistent quality shooter. Your foot positioning. And then we talk about your follow through. And we, so what we make them do and we stress is holding their follow through for a second. So that just that we make sure that wherever they're starting, they're finishing opposite, they're holding that follow through and they're stepping through their shot. You know, fluid. You know, and we'll have them critique each other. Front elbow, you know, to the point where Kylie played for me for four years. She's a, a, a fantastic shooter. But I think one of the things that people have to understand about Kylie is there was no game that she ever played that she thought was good enough. And it was to the point where I used to laugh. Like, I'd be sitting in my office. She'd have eight points. She'd come in my office and be like, I, I got to be better. You know, like, what do we got to do? And then we're out shooting buckets before practice. Yeah. You know, so we actually have, you know, and it's the same way with my, with my son. It's like, you know, when you spend time with your shooters, you can point to things, you know, shoulders, elbows, you know, just point to that front elbow, you know, just different cues. And, again, they understand that because it's simplified for them. Not a kid who just shoots for shooting their form is off, you know, they're push shooters, you know, and they don't really have something to circle back to a reset button. Let me ask you a question about shooting. Um, how much do you put percentage wise into form shooting versus deceptive shooting? Well, I think you, I think the best thing is, is being able to, it's like anything, right? You have your, your defense, your vanilla defense, then you build off of that. You have your offense and you build off that. So your base has to be your form as you're evolving through. So when we do our, we really, a lot of time form shooting is on our step downs, right? And stuff like that. And then we start to move a little bit of a sweep, three quarter sweep speed, really exaggerating our movements, following through, back pedaling out of our shot, you know? And then there's a lot of that that is involved with deception. We work a lot with our players. We're bringing that front elbow up and forward, which allows you to hide the head of your stick behind your head, behind the ponytail. And allows by the time your follow through is, is visible to the goalie, you're halfway through it. So I think that's one of the things. I think the other thing we work a lot with are box fakes, keeping things really tight, you know, and, and being able to just drop the ball at spots. And then the other thing I, I think is something that it, it takes time, but you want to talk about, you know, how smart shooters, two things. We talk about looking at the top corners. What's the difference between shooting high and low? Your follow through. So if you, you can look at the top right and shoot for the bottom right by following through harder. You know, if you want to, if you're, if you want to use your eyes as, as deception, you know, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things. And the other thing that we work a lot with, and this is a lot with our boys teams as well, is a sidearm windup and an overhand release. Yep. An overhand windup and a sidearm release. And I think that you watch Crush, you watch a lot of our – you know, the bandits, you watch a lot of my Stony Brook team. We're not knocking the net over with shots, but we're hitting spots and are going in. They're deadly accurate. So it was a lot of those windups that you're referring to. I call them, I've, I, I, 
I've noticed that not so much with you guys because I haven't watched it that much, but um, you know, when you watch Canadians and natives play, they do what I call a low high wind up. So it's kind of the same thing. And, and it's just, it's a lift up, you know, you wind up like you're going to go sidearm or underhand and then you lift, you bring that goalie right up. And now as you bring them up, you can do a lot of things. You can yank it low or you can lean and still stick it high and make them think you're going low. But that's, um, that's really cool to hear that you're, that you're teaching that. I, I totally agree with that. And I think that it's something that, you know, I've messed around on, on college level goalies on eight meter shots with women's sticks. And you can, you can score that outside shot with that, with that wind up. Um, I think you'll probably see more of that coming down the line. Yeah. Especially with the mesh and the stick changes. I think you're starting oh, yeah. to see shooters. And, and another thing that we practice a lot with just the form shooting is formed sidearm shooting. Yeah. You know, Cause I know like the old school way is, you know, kids should never shoot sidearm and all that yada, yada. I get it. Like, that's not me. It's, I don't think it's not you, right. but it's but it's it's a huge part of the game so instead of fighting it it's because it's a deadly weapon if it's used correctly as we both know and and i straight you know I've, all my teams we practice it so there's a level of our step downs we'll go overhand step downs everything top corner then we'll go low then the next the next round is waist or lower so we talk about waist or lower releases you know, and everything low to high risers, you know, and, and, and practice it. And yes. so you could position their footwork as opposed to them sneaking it in there and then the first and coach shells overhand, you know. So, you know, for us, I think it's another thing that can be repped, you know, where you can really get imp help improve, you know. And I, I think, you know, you talk about the overall skill set, right? And you see our kids, you know, we're not strangers to the behind the back passing and shooting and all that, those things. But I think, and you've watched film of us, you have to search really long and hard for a behind the back pass or a shot that you would say that was the wrong play right there. Right. I agree. You know, and I think there's value to that. It's teaching it the right way. Totally. I mean, so many people like, you know, will say, all right, well, you know, behind the back's fine if you're losing angle you know, and that's kind of where they draw the line as it's okay, as opposed to the fact that, you know, my opinion behind the back feeding is so much more deceptive. And it usually, usually forces you to get closer to your man, tighter to the middle, right by the elbow, where it's a five or six yard feed. And it's the balls in the back of the net. When Kylie Olmiller feeds her behind the back to a righty cutter, the balls in the back of the net before anybody knows that it was fed. And it's just, it is so deceptive. It requires practice. It requires confidence to break it out. Um, but, man, I, I, I'm a huge believer in that as a skill. And it's fun to watch you guys do that. And I think that's so, again, you know, we have the football bags out, right, and we'll have the lefties drive up into them or we'll have the righties drive up into them, time the cuts off of that. Because the first thing, you know, and, again, I do a lot of this, you know, with all of our my point guards or, or the guys that are, that, you know, are running the offense, my, my, my attackmen, it's – you know, again, my, my older guy, it's the same thing. It's drive to that, get, get, get above goal line, head up. You know, you got a lot of different options there. And a lot of times behind the back pass with a body leaning on you is the best pass. You get the sticks always upfield. Yep. Right? Which allows you a free lane, you know, to make a good high-level play. And if you, if you practice it, you're good at it. You know, you obviously oh. you're not putting every player in that position. But you have certain players, you know, Kylie, that was the best thing. She'd get there. She'd, you know, everybody would be ready. You know, they'd slide early to her. She'd pass. They didn't slide. She'd beat a person and score. Took what was there. And I think that's a big thing. And the only way you can do that is if you could do everything. <laughs> What's your take on, um, on physicality in dodging and how do you work on that, both with your, you know, Stony Brook women's team as well as, you know, the crush and the bandits and everything else? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's one of the things we see a lot. I think, you know, when you have a high-skilled offense and you play a little different, uh, I think you're going to see a little bit more of the physicality. Um, I think we, our kids deal with it really well. I think a lot of stuff that we do shooting wise and skill wise, you know, a lot of the shooting drills that we're talking about are a lot of them. We try to implement as much contact as we can. We'll do, you know, double, double sided inside rolls with the big football tackling bag where we're, we're applying pressure and they're dealing with hits and you're dealing with, you know, coaches leaning on one way or taking away one thing and having them ab lib and deal with somebody draped on them. Um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where I also think it's we move the ball. Every one of those teams move the ball first. It's a pass, we're pass first. Sure. You know, I think that takes away a lot of aggressiveness. You know, I think it's a lot like football where the team's blitzing, but the quarterback goes two step drop and dumps it, two step drop, dump it, two step. You know, all of a sudden that blitz stops coming, then you can drop and throw one over the top. You know, so um, you know, I think it's one of those things where you know a lot of times we use the aggressiveness or know against teams you know and physicality we've seen it our whole life you know people want to get physical that's cool we'll play man up you know we're pretty yeah, good yeah, yeah well part of what I was referring to also is like not only like how you're going to go against people being physical with you but you know I look at women's lacrosse I, I personally think that women's lacrosse is closer to men's lacrosse than girls lacrosse is to women's lacrosse in the way that they particularly in the way that they the game is played uh, on, on so many levels, um, and especially the way that you can play one-on-one -on -one defense and women's lacrosse. You can cross-check people. I mean, maybe not as aggressively, but pretty darn aggressively. I mean, it's pretty uh, – it, 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 to beat somebody in Division One women's lacrosse, you have to be able to get a step. But if you do not initiate contact on them or turn the corner, they're going to jack you and push you off. You know, it's, it's a choice of either you initiate the contact on them and retain your angle or gain some angle, or they initiate it on you and you're going to be getting pushed wide. And that's what I was referring to. You got any thoughts on that? Yeah, and two things with that. You know, I think if you look at our players, you couldn't be more right. I mean, the physicality, our players look like they're tatted up. Like Kylie's, you know, arms, Murph's arms, Taryn O'Miller's arms, you know, by being able to get into those, uh, you know, playing attack and dealing with cross-checks. Allie Kennedy, you know, one of our, my our rising stars who was just, with, you know, with, with the U.S. team, her arms look like they went through a guillotine, you know, like she's bruised and they get cross-checked and they deal with it. And I think it's one of the main reasons why I have my daughter's team playing box lacrosse. You yes. know, I think it accelerates the development. I think that, you know, girls youth lacrosse is such a different game than high school. And it's a completely different game than college. And I'm not sure the current rules that are, that are used for youth lacrosse is the best you know, and then, you know, uh, teacher for, for young players. Environment. Yeah, we just played in a boys tournament. And honestly, there's no big hits. There's a lot of cross-checking, which, I, you know, I like women deal with that every game a lot. Every day. There's checking, which what better way to teach kids how to protect their stick than to have people trying to take the ball from them and being able to, you know, so when I look at it, you know, we get people always questioning, you know, why, why? Well, listen, there's a reason why I'm not doing it just because I feel like, you know, burning a Saturday in Pennsylvania or up in Canada, <laughs> or you know, so, you know, I think that's one of the things where we've used this now as a way of accelerating their development. And you know, our girls are getting hands whacked on and, and beat down, you know, in these box tournaments, 
what's it going to be like when they go in a, in a girl's tournament and the girl leans on their hand? They're going to run right by that contact. That contact's non-existent to them. Right. And they passes with, with hands in their mitts, you know, like getting, getting checked and, and dealing with, with physicality where there's nothing that's going to happen. You know, I, I think there's a lot of teach that goes involved too. You've got to be able to teach them, you know, all right, the helmet's off. Now you've got to play a different way, but you have to modify it to what you're taught. So, um, you know, I think that's a huge believer in box lacrosse uh, and would you say boys across rules for, for development sake as far as. Yeah, within a reason. I would say within reason. I, I think first, you got to yeah, go safety first. Yeah, safety first. But I think when you look at like where my daughter is now sixth grade, I think that's kind of like that line where kids aren't running around. You're not dealing with, you know, a reclassed kid <laughs> trying yeah. to knock a girl's head off or just who's going to knock anyone's head off. You know, if a kid's going head first into the boards, it's funny because our girls actually, we spent more time in the penalty box than the boys that we played against. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things where I just think it's a closer transition. You watch one of our box games from this weekend and you watch a college game women's yeah. game yeah there's more of a correlation there yes it is for a girls youth game where you know it's red light green light you know they have to have a certain amount of passes you yeah. know it's just not real it's not real you can't throw checks you can't you can throw defense there's really nothing that's other than the goal size that's very similar right yeah no i agree i i actually uh as i think you know i spent the summer up with my daughters and a few of their friends up in uh, St. Catharines, Ontario this past summer and played. And it's pretty interesting to watch uh, girls box in Canada, actually. Um, the physicality is actually, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a little nerve wracking actually, but it was, uh, it was worth it. I'll tell you what, that puts you in an environment where you got to like, when someone's charging you, you know, you'll figure out how to get out of the way, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's actually, it's a little scary, but they figure it out. And um, it ends up being, in my opinion, really really valuable um you know and getting someone getting getting in your face every now and then is kind of interesting too it toughens you up i know my son went through that you know like i remember the first time my wife and i watched him when he was 12 i was like hey did that that six nations kid just punch colin in the face and they're like yeah <laughs> yeah i know listen i i think it's, it's so funny right because you know my my uh all my boys teams play box and they actually you know, full disclosure, they actually enjoy it more than field, A, because they like to play fast, B, they like to rough it up, but they also are really super skilled, and and I think that that's part of it. And, you yeah. know, my son Joey, as you know, he's always played up, so there's so many times I'd be sitting there, I'd be looking out of the corner of my eye, like, watch him get, you know, drilled by some he's guy. Praying. <laughs> his size, you know, drooling, you know, foaming in the mouth. So I think it's one of those things where it's – uh yeah, it is. It is a thing. You know, it's it's an adjustment that way. But I also think that, you know, it's different and different yeah. training is good because if everybody's doing the same things, everybody's doing the same thing, and you're just like everybody else. So exactly. You know, I'm from the school where if you're doing it, I got to do it different. You know, and and if she's doing it that way, I got to do it a different way. And that honestly, that's helped us so much here because, like, I don't, I didn't take the program here to like just be a, a good America East team. You know, I wanted to, we want to try to be the best. Like, we want to be the best team in the country. And, you know, last year we spent a lot of time up there. But, you know, and, and you know, we got picked off in, uh, you know, in double overtime, which in, in you know, something that I, it's, I'm still heartbroken about. But, yeah. you know, like, it's one of those things where we have to think different. We're, we're not getting necessarily 
any top 10 recruits. You know, we're not getting any top 20 recruits. And yeah. you know, we have one kid on our whole roster that was an inside lacrosse top 50 kid. So yes. everything else is like kids that come with more questions and answers that love the game and want to be taught. And, and so therefore we have to be different. We gotta, we gotta try to, you know, come go out of the box. Would it be fair to say that you're not being different to be different as much as you're on a quest to figure out the best way to do everything. And you're going to figure that out and you're going to look at what everybody's doing. It doesn't matter whether it's men's across women's across box lacrosse, field lacrosse, basketball, football, when all soccer, like you referred to before. I mean, to me, that's kind of the fun of coaching is being able to pull from everything, you know, it's why we enjoy talking to each other because I always come away with something and, you know, you probably do too. And it's just so interesting. And I, I think that, you know, being different that way is like, is, is that kind of in part what you meant to? A hundred percent. It's like professional development too. You know, like, I don't want to be, I don't want, I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. You know, so how do you do that? You know, you can't look at things the same. Like, you know, I, I, and again, I'm, I'm obviously I coach. So all I do is coach. So, I watch press conferences of the NFL on Sunday afternoons. I love that. I want to hear what these coaches say. I want to see the, the coaches that run at the fire and the ones that run away from it. I want to, you know, and I'm always from that school where if we lose, our players deserve a better coach. Like I have to be better, you know, and if we win, we have the best players and they deserve that win and it's all about them. So I think that's one of the things where, therefore, I, I have to be better. Like there's got to be ways of being, you know, this drill is really cool, but how can we make it even better? Like, what can I add to this drill? And that's why, like, we have our four-spot drill. And then we started at times to make kids, you know, hurry up their decision-making. We made it one-handed where everything had to be done with one hand. And, you know, defensively, we run through our zone with no sticks, you know, and, and, and they're just flying around. Now they got to get their bodies where their sticks are. And now it's a little bit less fouling, which helps us play a little bit more cohesive. And, you know, just all – ways like you said i got it it's, it's our quest right this is what we do how do how can i be a better coach how can i make this better how can i make that player better and that a lot of times comes from us putting them in a position to be better yeah just like you said being the best thief you can be the philosophy podcast is made possible in part by the jm3 video assessment tool there's no question that video is critical to player development one way or another, your son must utilize video to learn his game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com. All right, so I want to talk to you something about um, a theory I have on, on sticks. And I think that I think it's really healthy for uh, girls to learn how to play with a boy's stick as well as with a girl's stick because I, I believe that – if you look at your average, I don't know, sixth or seventh or eighth grade boy, like your kids on your bandits team, if they picked up, you know, one of your Stony Brook women's sticks that has a good hold, they could pretty much do anything with it. But I don't think their peers at, at middle school that are really good lacrosse players on the girls' side, I don't see them being able to do those skills. But they, they, I think they could if they grew up using a boy's stick. They could transfer it over really easily. I think it's an advantage to grow up playing with a boy's stick and then transfer it to a girl's stick as opposed to just always playing, especially because some of the youth girl sticks are so bad that it's like I, I, I don't even know how you'd learn how to do anything, much less you know high-level skills. I think it deters some players from I, – I have this conversation with all – you know. I see, you know, with younger kids and you see players just starting out, you know, and you see them come out with these tennis racket sticks and there's going to be such a low level, like a, a low success, success rate because 
a pocket is right away they're behind the eight ball. So you could be a freak athlete and be playing with a tennis racket and you're not going to catch the ball very often. So, right. you know, the biggest thing, is, like you said, I, and I do conversely, I, I do a lot of that with my sons, you know, well, I'll have them, we'll do finishing drills in tight stuff with a women's stick. Totally. Got a soft hands, soft hands, soft hands, you know, so why wouldn't you go the other way? I, I totally agree with you. And I've seen it with my girls teams when we play box that now, you know, them having the ability to drop their hands and shoot sidearm and be able to change levels. How's now some of them who are very stiff and mechanical doing those same skills with the women's stick from playing with the boy stick and being able to understand how to transfer their hands and body low, their release points, their wind up, being able to cradle through their wind up and then release sidearm, you know, driving that top thumb through to their target, all those things. Now, all of a sudden, I'm starting to see it translate with their, with their girl stick. So I think that it's an interesting thing because we actually had the box tournament, like I told you, with my daughter's team. And then last night we had practice with, on the women's side. So they had pr girls practice last night, field, girls field practice. And they were just doing different things. They, they just looked different. They were smooth, fearless, you know, a lot, of, a lot of being able to change levels. And so I think that's huge. I, I think it's one of the biggest things I tell people all the time is, you know, mixing it up is a great thing because it's going to allow them to throw those extra fakes, have a little more confidence in that. But the flip side is you want to see how skilled a boy player is, hand them a girl stick. I totally agree. And if they're, yeah. you know, if they can't do it, they're, you know, that, that shows you a lot. It does. You know, it's funny. In, in about 1995 or 1996, I was the assistant at Yale, and I used to have to, like, play. We only had five attackmen, so I, I would, like, play every, every day at practice. And one fall – I decided, you know, that I wanted to see what it would be like to just use a, a, a women's stick. So it was like a Brian World Cup from like 1995. Not even close to as good of a stick as what you can get now. Um, but it, it had a huge impact on me as a player in my game because I, I, had to, I had to play a little differently because the stick in the pocket you use is basically an environment. Just like a shot clock's an environment, boards and glass, a goal size it makes the environment kind of makes the player. And when you use a, uh, when you use a, um, a stick that has much smaller pocket, you know, you get the benefits of really quick release. And now all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I changed, I used to play with a way bigger pocket until I did until that fall when I realized I, I don't want to live without being incredibly accurate on my feeds and quick release on my feeds and being able to shoot leaners at will. And, um, and so it's, it's just, I totally agree. Um, I just think that, that to begin with, though, if I'm going to start something, I want to start with some kind of a pocket so that I can catch, so that I can cradle in a lot of different angles, so that I can pass at all different angles, so that I can use my wrists at the end of a swing instead of just pushing it because the ball will slide out if I swing too hard, all of these things. So I just wanted to get your opinion on it. I think it's really, I think it's really, really important. Um, I want to ask you about uh, two-man game. Um, it seems like there's more and more of this um, in women's lacrosse. And obviously in men's lacrosse and in pro lacrosse, it's, it's, it's massively prevalent. Um, in pro lacrosse, I was looking at stats right before we got on this call from Joe Keegan where he talked about, you know, the, the scoring percentages are higher um, in two-man game from behind wing and top than they are in isolation from behind wing and top, you know, in order – your lowest shooting percentages is alley dodges, then X dot dodges from behind, and then wing. 
okay? Wing being the highest. And then two-man, same, same order. Your lowest percentage of two-man is still higher than isolation, but it's out top, and then it's behind, and then it's wing. And then short-to-short, short-to-short two-man game in MLL statistics, 35% scoring, which is about four points higher than the 31% where you get on the wing and, or something along those lines. It, it's much higher. And in women's across, obviously, it's always short-to-short. Talk to me about your, your thoughts on two-man game and where you see that going. Well, I think you, you see the evolution of it in the women's game. I think men's-wise, if you watch a lot of our – you know, my, my crush team, we, you know, we play a lot of that. We play a lot of, you know, big, little. A lot of times, you know, we're our attack because there's such a handful and everybody's trying to get certain matchups. We play big, big sometimes and just get like, to switch matchups and mess with people because teams come in trying to, to, to kind of have certain guys on certain guys, certain style guys on certain yeah. style guys. So I think that's something we even with, with New York, we did a little bit of that this year with Rob because most teams have maybe one guy that can hang with him a little bit, but I think not, no one has two, you know, so a lot of times we'd go big, big, which they would switch really easy out of that. You know, teams are going to always switch big to big, but you know, big little, they'll, they'll try to get through a little bit more. So we almost felt like it was, you know, cluttering that up there, but you know, and then conversely on the women's side, I think it's one of the another main reasons why we have the girls playing box lacrosse too is, you know, we get a lot of players and you're trying to teach them the understanding of the two man and it's, you know, it's Swahili. It's another language. They don't, they don't understand it, you know. So it's one of the things where we feel like now it's, it's become a really good part of what we do. I think everything, obviously everything's little, you know, little, little, everything switches. So you know, depending on how teams are playing. Um, one of the things that I've seen is now that it's being, and I see this a lot, I saw this a lot this weekend with my boys, is everybody's teaching, and it's like almost like the dummy version of box lacrosse. You know, and you hear, pass down, pick down, pass down, pick down. It's all the coach are yelling, the kids are yelling, pass down, pick down. So what we actually found this weekend is that teams are okay at defending that. Yeah, teams were absolutely miserable at defending up picks. Yeah, that part hasn't made you know that that's that chapter two. They haven't gotten there yet. So <laughs> you know, so it's actually we had more success this weekend with up picks, especially with our women's team too. Our girls, you know, because, you know they're be able to, to seal that. Now the, the defenders looking up the field and they're backdoor cut and they're wide open. They're coming right down at the goal, as opposed to sometimes the pass down pick down. They wait. They let it develop enough. So I think there's a whole bunch of different part to that we do a lot of you know over at Stony Brook as far as you know how that evolves in our offense a lot of that's on the wings um once in a while we'll run it with with Kylie and Taryn behind um you know just more to kind of get because teams are so they overreactive to those two yeah um, that then opens up a lot of different things so it's something that you know we always try to keep for us we're such a, an offense that's predicated on ball movement that if you're able to to implement that in with it, it just adds a complete different layer, um, you know, to everything that's existing there. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, one of the things when you think about two-man games, um, there's a couple of things that come to mind for me. One is it teaches IQ better than anything else because you have to learn how to play with somebody. Uh, it starts kind of with a give and go. It's, that's a two-man game. And, and, it, and then it comes down to, you know, learning how to set, get your body in the way of a defender and try to open up a lane to the net for a player. And this is like requires thinking on both sides because the man with the ball has to set her defender up and the player who's 
you know, going to be saying the pick has to set her defender up and you got to read it. And so that level of IQ, even if like it wasn't an efficient way to score, which it is, the level of IQ development, I think, is through the roof. And then from a, from a um, you know, from a position of why does it work? Well, because any anytime you, A, make people communicate, all they have to do is one person messes it up and it's a goal. And all of a sudden there's two people that have to, they have to communicate and they have to communicate right. And you said, Hey, well, you can just switch everything, but then you start doing your give and goes and your slips and, 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 and now both players are going with the cut. So it's really a lot harder than you think. That's why when you look at the MLL stat of short versus short two man game, you would think that it would be easier to cover because you know, they can switch everything, but there's no ball pressure now. And, and, and the slip really puts you in a tough spot. And then the last piece that I think is really important is that when you isolate in women's lacrosse, that's one player on one side and maybe six on the other, they, they can slide early and guard six players with five. When you have a two man game now, and they want to slide early, now they have to guard you know, five players with four. And if you can do a three-man game, it just opens things up in a way that overloads the ball side. And really, you know, I watched, again, I watched you guys, your pen game, and I saw you guys executing some two-man games on one side and zipping it over to the other wing and attacking the other side. And that's just great offense. Yeah, I think that's one of the things. And it's funny, the give and go, I talk about it all the time because I think that's a lot of it that's not taught is take the easy money first. If the easy money isn't there, then you, you know, like take that, take that back to a cut. So yeah, anytime you pass on a defender, the defender's always going to take a peek where it went, get that back to a cut. If it's not there, reset yourself and set that pick. So many times you see it, it drives me nuts. How many times I like want been at my son's high school games and wanted to like jump over the fence is that, you know, a kid, it's it passed down, the kid runs straight down and he's setting like kind of a pick, but really all he's doing is bringing a double to the ball because the kids, you know, he's not really setting a pick that anyone could get hung up in. So I think that's one of the things where you have to be able to, you know, you have to be able to teach it the right way. And I think, like you said, because now if you're, if you're good at it and it's taught the right way, now, okay, you're going to switch on everything. Are right, we going to slip, you know? And for me, like our, our offense, you know, whatever, if you're yelling, you know, switch to switch, we're yelling, get through, get through, get through. So as an offense, we're yelling whatever, opposite whatever the defense is yelling. And that, which, which, you know, again, that's part of box lacrosse. If you're, if you're, if you're around it enough, you know that that's kind of like everyday stuff that happens in box. So, um, you know, I think that's one of, one of, you know, and, and again, like you said, like we'll go hard off a two man game, swing it. And then everybody's on one side. And then we get that back, you know, the, the opposite side, right. you know, dodged her with, with space on both sides. And it really, I mean, those right. are things that really could, you know, mess the defense up. One of the things that I believe that, um, you know, uh, is the most undertaught part of two-man game in this country is picking your own man. And when you think about switch, 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 you know, you can slip all you want, but you could also just seal off that potential switch and let someone run right over the top. When you watch Canadian box across, you know, half the time they're just one person is just pinning a guy in so that they can come across the top and shoot it. And the elements of uh, what you learn as a player, the, of reading, like when you seal a player off, pick your own man, there's an instant read of, I've just created space behind me by sealing a player off. And if they fight through, then it's an easy read of, now I'm open. And that, that one piece I see as being so huge 
to the development of two-man game stuff. So anyways, I love I loved talking about it. Um, I want to turn the uh, conversation to your boys' teams for a minute. But before I do, I, I, I ran into uh, Greg Michelli. So I, I didn't even really – we hadn't talked about this, but your assistant coach, Greg Michelli, was once my assistant coach at Mountain Vista High School. Uh, a good, nice uh, Canadian young man who couldn't get his uh, citizenship squared away in time for us to hire him at 3D Lacrosse back in the day. But he did coach with me at Mountain Vista High School. Spent uh, you know maybe a couple of weeks in my basement in, in the in the you know January of 2014 or something like that. Coached my son. So uh, how's good? How's good old Greg doing? Great, great. He actually helps. He runs all of our box stuff for our boys and girls. He's two doors down. You know we uh, he's able to get a full-time position here now is as our defensive coach um he's a great teacher he's he's been really uh he's been great I think he he gives you know a different voice which I love which yeah. you know I, I like to kind of step back a little bit and and watch and and learn and and I get it gives him an opportunity to kind of he loves you know the game I think he's a great teacher as well yeah. so uh we're really fortunate to have him here he's, he's a great yeah. guy He's a great dude. Um, okay, so, you know, when we were speaking last summer, we talked after you guys won the, uh, the World Series with your Bandits team. Um, you came on, and we were watching the film, and we were talking, and I, and I wanted to kind of continue that conversation because there's a lot of – there are just a lot of coaches out there and a lot of parents that are like, how, how does he do it, you know? And uh, obviously, you know, you're in a hotbed. It might be easier on Long Island than it would be in uh, Iowa. But, but it really comes down to the hard work you're putting in and, and the consistency of the way you guys are doing it. And what I wanted to do, if you don't mind, is kind of go through um, almost like month by month what it kind of looks like as far as how much these kids are playing. And because I know that you're an advocate of multi-sport athletes. I know that you take August off and the majority of September. Um, so, but – you know, once October rolls around, you know, how, how many times a week are you guys practicing? Because I would like to do the quick back of the napkin math to give people out there an idea of what, you know, you've, you've developed some of the elite teams in the country at the age groups. How much are these guys practicing? So, what, so let's just kind of go through it real quick. We don't have to spend too much time, but October, what does it look like? You know, I think when they're younger, I think we probably were, were able, there were less distractions, right? I mean, there's yeah. less high school. Middle school and below, you mean? Exactly. I would say even younger because it was able at that point, you know, it's tough teaching an old dog new tricks. There's a reason why that saying hasn't gone anywhere. So, you know, we try to get them and teach them everything when they were really young and both groups kind of mirrored the same plan, you know, crush from six years old, seven years old. And then a lot of the bandits were little brothers of the crush kids. And then we added some players and, um, and followed the same mold. Um, you know, and I look at like right now for them being in high school, you know, we, we finish our, our season in late July or, or summer circuit. Um, at that point, the month of August is is shut down as far as I'm concerned. They usually have one week, like one like two days of a tryout date that, that Team 91 makes mandatory for the kids to go. Um, this past year, I went to one of the two days. I just, I just try to get away from the sport, you know, as much as I can, especially when the ML winds down. Um, so they'll go most of August is off. Um, September, again, the kids are, we don't do anything. Um, you know, we have them do a lot. If they want to do individual stuff, that's their prerogative. Um, but there's nothing that we kind of go. And then we'll start off, uh, you know, two days a week. Um, 
in October. Yep. Um, and then, you know, we transition toward the end of October. We'll hit a weekend in there too. So we'll go Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, um, you know, and, and then transition into November where we'll play two tournaments. This year we played um, November 4th, a one-day playing day, play day, play and go home. Then, uh, two, two, you know, the two weekends later we played another day, you know, three, four games, go home. For us, our main part of our season starts with box. So I'm not a I'm not huge on fall ball. I, I I don't like a lot of the, you know I don't think it's a great level you know of lacrosse across the board. Right. I think that weather's uh, terrible. Everything's sloppy. Yeah, and you know what? I think part of that is letting them be kids a little bit too. You know, so that when you get do get the kids, there's no, you know, for us it's, you know, my son plays football. You know, my all my boys play football. It's you know the kids are playing soccer. Kids are playing different sports. So. The last thing you want to do is is start to put a kid in a position where yeah. they feel like they got to miss something or whatnot. So we go hard in, into box lacrosse, and that will, will go. You know, we have so for instance, this time of the year we have Tuesdays and Thursdays field, Wednesdays and Saturdays box. So they're going. Our kids are going four days a week, um, two field, two box. Um, they don't go necessarily every field day. You know, sometimes we'll mix it up. If I want to get a scrimmage in for, you know, the bandits, we, you know, we'll, we'll run up and down with our 22s. And then, um, you know, with, with basically what we do now with crushes, we make it a varsity night. And we'll have, you know, just basically invite kids being in a hotbed. It's a nice thing. We get the kids down from other towns and whatnot and just have our kids go live. Um, find them practice through with some different kids and, you know, be able to get up and down with them. So... You know, I think it's something where we've been able to to evolve. Our kids know our system from the time they were very young. So I think it's more a matter of getting them back in tune and dialed in and, um, you know, just playing together as a group. So that box sort of uh, season goes on for, what, December, January, February, and then it's springtime. And March as well. We, got it, we go March. I think our last box tournament was the end of March. Um, you know, and like I said, Greg, Greg does a great job helping us out um you know with all that but our kids love it i think it's been a nice change up yeah i agree off the field and 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 they're super competitive kids so in a way i think it just allows our defenders to play offense it gets them up and down like what we do jamie which is really unorthodox and i'm not sure the smartest thing but the kids adore it and the parents would love it is like this past weekend we went into the box tournament that kevin crowley ran and, and steve holmes who played you know they both played nll and mll for a while yeah, and we took our team, and we have a draft every tournament. So I have two of my assistants, and they draft our bandit team, player for player. And we split our team in half, and we go and play in the tournaments. That's awesome. This past weekend, we had eight kids per team. So the eight? kids, dude, <laughs> that's 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 a lot of playing time, but that's that's like. Almost impossible for the sport of box across. <laughs> and they were going. I mean, they go up and down. They're relentless. It's crazy. Yeah, they won all their games. Um, we, it was a little easier this tournament because after every goal, it's a faceoff, so yeah. you can kind of I don't say rest, but you can rest a little bit, you know. But those are all the extra reps. And we we did that with Crush for years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, now that Joey's this Crush is last year, so Joey's transitioning a little into his own age and grade into the twenty twenty twos. So those guys have been doing a lot of the box lacrosse. 
um, as well. And, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things where, you know, it's different training. Our kids would rather play, th you know, three games with seven or eight kids than, you know, yeah. three games with 16 or 18. Yeah, kids. yeah, no doubt, man. I, I, I totally get it. Um, that's really smart. That's cool. And then, of course, they play their spring season. Do you guys practice with, like, Bandits at this time in the spring too, or do they play on rec teams? How does that work? So they all play their high school team. Like, my boys will go – most of our kids have been selectively classified as well. New York State allows players – that are in seventh and eighth grade to take a special test. And play varsity? Yeah, like Joey last year, my older son was an eighth grader. He played up on varsity. My twins will take their test as an eighth grader. They'll play up this year. That's awesome. Ponzio, the big lefty we have, he, he's already been told he's going to be playing varsity this year. So most of our kids are taking the test where they'll play JV. So this year will be a little different. Yep. Last, year we, last year we played, we practiced um, in their high school season two days a week. Yeah. Um, and then once the high school season ended, then it gave us like two weeks of prep for summer tournaments. And then, you know, we kind of hit the stride there. How much do you guys practice in the summer? Not much. Not much. You know, we're playing Saturday, Sundays, extreme heat. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll have, you know, and again, it's a huge benefit to having the same group of kids. You know, I know a lot of teams have tryouts and they got 12 different kids. All over the place. Our kids know the system. They know us. They know what's expected. So they show up. It's they're shined up, they're ready to go. They, you know, they, they know there's a level of expectation that needs to be, you know, skill-wise and fitness-wise that they need to check those boxes or it affects their playing time. Because, you know, it's one of the things, we don't have big rosters, but it's also, you know, it's not even playing time. Yes. You know, our kids got to earn what they get. And I think it's something that our kids really understand. Like our rosters are MLL style. So we have 19 players. So, um, you know, and it's hot sometimes. So they understand that you can't come in out of shape. You got you can't turn the ball over. You have to be able to play fast but smart. You know, so those are all the things that that we feel mentally prepare our kids to, you know, to be elite. You know, and I think that you, they're seeing now like the benefits of, you know, crush with all the kids. You know, that are that are in the top ranked kids coming out of that class, and you know, some of them, you know, like like Brennan is, you know, could be. You know, I don't want to put too much heat on the kid, but he's a generational type kid. You know, when yeah. he's so far. What um? So in the summer though, will you practice? Will you practice once or twice a week in the summer? I mean, yeah, we'll go once, twice, right? based on it. You know what we're doing. It's also tough, like uh, you know, based like some tournaments. You know, if they have Showtime, Maverick, Showtime, and then yeah, they got stuff going on during the week. They got stuff going on. There's nothing you can do about it. But we'll try to go. We'll try to go, you know, once, you know, possibly twice a week, depending on how we played the weekend before. But a lot of times, it's, you know, if you play Saturday, Sunday, the kids generally need Monday and, you know, to, to, to recoup Tuesday. You know, again, you're, fly, you're, you're traveling on a Friday. Some tournaments now have pushed games on Friday. So it really depends on that. But we'll try to go two days a week. But most often it's, you know, you're down to one. Yeah. So, I mean, if you – the back of the napkin is you kind of average from October to June, you average about two practices a week. Yeah, average, yeah, I would say. I would say more three days of lacrosse per week when you really average the tournament. So, there's three days. Like, days, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Because, like, even yeah. this past you – know, Tuesdays, Thursdays. Yeah, because you know, of that, the, the, the two days of box and two days of field during box season – that's a lot of lacrosse. And listen, I mean, there's, it's no surprise that you guys are as skilled as you are. And, and I, I say this to everybody because, because 
there's almost nobody out there that can that that touches this amount of commitment to to practicing and playing and it's just it's not easy to do i mean it's hard to find a guy like you that can make the time and do it you're a professional though so you can do it and so you're you're, you know your kids and everybody a part of this program is lucky you can you can take greg michelli and and have your assistant coach go make a couple bucks and go coach box lacrosse and not that you wouldn't want to be there every time because your kids are there so obviously you want to be there but uh you know you do coach six teams (laughs) sounds a lot worse when you actually say it out loud (laughs) My wife just points me in a direction every day. I wake up and say, what do I have today? And she'll be like, eh, eh, eh. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like today, my big job is Joey's got his high school box lacrosse practice four to five. And then my Christmas lights have to go up. So that's, that's the big job today. You know, the yeah. lights are going to house. So, so it's really, it's really fascinating. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think this is going to help people because I mean, they're wondering like, how do I, how do we do that? Well, I'll tell you how play lacrosse about a hundred days a year. That's what you're doing. I mean, if you're playing, you know, or, you know, about 12 days a month over the course of 10 months or so, you know, whatever, give or take a couple days off here. It's about a hundred and, and, or eight, you know, even if it was eight months, it's about a hundred. So um, it's a lot, but it's not, but it's, it's, it's obviously a passion for everybody and it's not getting in the way of the other sports. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's probably a eight to one ratio of practices to games and it's all local. It's mostly local and it's, you know, it's an amazing model. That's the good thing for people to understand, too. Every single one of our kids plays multi-sports. They play more than one sport. It's not yes. just across. You know, and I think that's, that's the other thing. You know, and I, I, I think it makes them better. Like, I watch my own boys come off a of football season when, I, when we don't push them. To, you know, we don't do anything in, in August, September, and half of October. And yep. They're better lacrosse players. They're okay. just better lacrosse players. Because, and having not played lacrosse, because they just have different athletic perspectives. You know, and then, you know, it, it, and I think the other thing for people to think about is, like, what are good crossovers? Like, what are good training methods? I, I get asked that question a lot. What do you got? You know, what do you do? What do you, you know, and to me, the biggest thing for me, the shiniest, you know, car on the street right now for me and something I do with, with, uh, with my, my older guy does a lot of it. My twins are now wrestling, but Joey boxes. And, wow. and it, he doesn't. While the guy Calvin is a Golden Gloves boxer, would like to take him into the Bronx, and my wife almost had a heart attack because he loves how fast his hands are. I have found it to be, it's really interesting because if you think about what's lacrosse, you know, coordinating your hands and feet have to work together. And if you look at, you know, and then it's high intense reps, got to go hard, got to go, and then you have a couple, you know, and then you rest to you get your body back, you know, and then you're strategically plotting about playing, hit, playing fast, hitting fast, running fast. So I have found at the workouts, you know, when your, your feet coordination, your hand coordination have to work together. Well, isn't that lacrosse? You know, like when you're able to break a guy down on your dodge and you have to be able to, to show some deception while maintaining full speed or a little stutter step while you're switching your hands. So I, I have found that to be a big thing on top of just the general, you know, the general weightlifting and speed classes that the kids go to. Yeah. You know, my guys do that stuff as well. But I, I always want to try to find something, a different, different angle, a different way. Yeah. Uh, you know, and also as a parent, gives you a good peace of mind. And they can, they, you know, they can throw their hands around a little bit if they have to, especially in box lacrosse. No doubt. Well, so like, uh, you know, when I think about the models that I've used, because I'm a dad also, and, you know, my kids are passionate about lacrosse. And box lacrosse in Canada has been, you know, a summer. You know, my, my son has nine summers up there. This, I got to pick your brain about that off. Yeah, we should talk about that about there. I can tell you, actually, there's a few, um, there's, there's, there's been some, 
inquiries made to me about some of your players uh, wanting not wanting them to come up and play but I mean that 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 um that experience of playing box across in Canada I mean it's just it's kind of like the experience that you your kids got with with Crusher Bandits it's a lot of lacrosse and it's a lot of high quality environment lacrosse you know where you know box across I mean gosh they they shoot like they shoot so much it's unbelievable I remember you know like just going up to the Minto Cup and watching they, they have shoot around every day, you know, like it's kind of like pro lacrosse, you know, you'll have like your shoot around from like 11 to 12 and they'll shoot. And then their warm ups are like 45 minutes of shooting on goalies and they'll shoot more in a day than most kids might shoot in an entire summer on a live goalie. It's, it's pretty insane, but we've talked a lot about, about box, but the one thing we haven't talked about that I'm incredibly passionate about is pickup games and playing backyard lacrosse, playing street lacrosse, playing boys and girls, small nets, tennis ball, um, small numbers. And um, I, I, we haven't, I don't know if we've talked about this much, but I've talked about it with a lot of guys. And, and before I let, let you answer, I just want to make this statement from a podcast I did with Mark Burnham a few months back. We talked about backyard lacrosse as it relates to the Iroquois. And the fact that there are about 1,500 Iroquois lacrosse players, and yet they've got more world-class and Hall of Fame level players than any population per capita. It's not even close. And they, they almost only play backyard lacrosse and then box in the summer. And it's a model that has created some of the slickest, smartest, smoothest players. And it seems like they all kind of play with a very similar style of poise and smooth and understanding and IQ. So, teeing you up now for your thoughts on pickup games. Love it. I mean, I, I, I do it with my Stony Brook team all the time. We have a portion of practice where, you know, we'll play five-on-five five games, sideline to sideline. We'll bring the goals in close. Just play. They call it jailhouse because there's not a lot of whistles. Yeah. You know, so, they're competing. They're hitting each other. They get, you know, kind of just you – know, they're not laying each other out, but they're playing physical and they're getting after each other and they're – they're they're playing and and again I think I I think back to you know when we were growing up and lacrosse wasn't it we played a lot of hockey and then we started to get into lacrosse my brothers and I and you know we built these small little nets in the backyard and we didn't have goalie equipment so we had the street hockey goalie equipment we had our neighbors dressed up in goal and we had helmets on no shirts on like we were like legit like you know you know like just gloves helmet sticks and our friends in my like goalie pads, you know, and I was just hammering balls off them. We actually tennis ball all taped up. Yeah. There were more fights and brawl, you know. It's <laughs> great. Then there were also like great gold and like memories to last forever. And that's how you get better because, you know, there was so many reps and is, there's less um, micromanaging and, and totally. coaching. I coach for a living, but I think that's one of the things we try to do all the time in our practice is take some of that away. We like, I, I was talk, coach on the fly, coach yeah. on the fly, get everybody moving, get everybody flying around. I think it's the best. I think my kids do it at home and nothing makes me happier than, you know, hearing crashes and booms downstairs when they're yeah. playing. <laughs> you know, they're getting better down there. It might, somebody might come up with a little egg on the eye or, you know, somebody came down with a two-hander across the hands. But, you know, I think that, that I love that. And then, you know, it's, it's one of those things where that's, that's to me, that's, you know, we grew up playing hockey. We always played pickup street hockey, and everybody was really good hockey players because that's all we played. We, you know, there, was, 
there were no whistles, no coaches, no, you know, it was a pain when a car drove by, we'd have to wait till the car passed. We kept playing, you know? So I think a lot of that is so huge for kids, but I also think it's, you know, not to sound like an old man, but it's a sign of the times too. It's like, everything's, you know, kids go, Oh, I have a play date at four thirty. Right. No, we used to get off the bus and just, Hey, what are we playing? All right. For the first two hours, we're going to play t- uh, tackle football. Then we're going to play hockey. And then we're going to, my dad said he'll pull the car up with the lights on and we can finish playing the game. You yeah. Know? No doubt, man. It's, it is a sign of the times. And the reason why I bring it up is a couple of reasons. One is because, I mean, I, I, uh, I coached um, my son's youth teams and I coached his high school team a lot like you. I got to coach my kids a lot. And, and I didn't coach him that much this summer because he went off to Canada if I could do something over again, I, I probably would have, I would have done less coaching and more pickup. And now with my, with my youngest, we play mostly pickup. Now I am going to coach her high school team this year, but, but when we're doing stuff, instead of doing, you know, working on stuff, we just play three on three games. And I get, you know, I invite a couple of boys, usually a couple of division one committed boys to come over. There'll be girls, there'll be me. And we'll play a little three-on-three game. And I've noticed the development out of the boys. You would think that, you know, you know, it's good for, for my daughter if she's playing against boys that are two or three years older that are Division I commits. But it was actually great for the boys, too, because they got to work on some things and handle a tennis ball and finish and tight and gain confidence. And the other thing you forget is the pure joy of playing those pickup street hockey games or playing these lacrosse games where you like if there's a ground ball and you're going for it and all of a sudden somebody picks it up and they're running away laughing out loud yeah. because they just got a loose ball and yeah. they're like hysterically laughing while they're running away from someone who's trying to go over their head and take it away and yeah. it's just it's you forget about the pure joy of it all but the reason why I'm bringing it up to everybody is because I'm really it's I'm kind of like big on this right now but not everyone's going to be able to play on a, 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 a 91 crush team that plays 100 times a year, but you could if you just go ahead and play pickup. And I'm telling everybody out here, I believe that you could get to the same end by playing street lacrosse, backyard lacrosse, pickup lacrosse, three-on-three, build a culture of it. And I think it's a solution that most people don't even realize is there. I agree. And I think that's one of the things, what separates a player from a hotbed from a player who loves the game, maybe it's just a skill from a non-traditional area. And a lot of times it's, it's the IQ, right? It's the understanding of the game. It's a lot of times it's the players around them being able to play with other players who know how to play. Right. You know, and I think that's a great way to learn how to play. I think, yes. you know, play and pick up, you know, and I think that's one of the things we see all the time. Like we have, We'll grab a kid to put, you know, this past weekend, it was interesting because a lot of times, Jamie, we'll grab, if we need a kid for crush, if we're light, like we have right now, or a lot of our kids, this tournament in the fall, we had kids banged out from football, kids in football playoffs. So we were like really light guys and we'll grab some kids from our second team to play um, or we'll grab, you know, and kids have a tough time meshing with our kids because they're really high-end skilled kids but they also play real team lacrosse yeah so they can all individually grab the ball and score whenever they want on demand but they don't play that way that's so right you know where to move off oh how to cut it this past weekend we had um we had ryan levy play with us who yeah. jenny's son yeah who i coach with with you know us and and um and he played with our boys this past weekend up on long island 
And he actually, because he's such a, his IQ is so high. He was fine. He crushed it. He did great. Yeah. You know? He's also a three-sport athlete. Yeah. He's a coach's kid. Yeah. And plays a ton of three-by. I went down, you know, you know, to, when I was watching Carolina play somebody last year, and we got, you know, we played a little. I, I, I played a little pickup with Alec and Ryan and our kids, and it was, like, pretty fun. Maybe it was fall ball or something. Yeah. But, but, you know, the, the, the point you made about the IQ is so important because there, was a, there, there, are, there are so many kids that put a lot of time into their game on shooting, on a wall, on their bounce back, and that's all fine. But, it, but, but like, we went like back to the question I asked you a lot earlier in this conversation. It, it doesn't help your IQ because you're not going against anybody, and you're right. not – there's no, no decisions to be made. And when you talk about, you know, the IQ of playing in a pickup game, it's, it's, it's absolutely there. You learn how, just like playing two-on-two two or three-on-three three hoops, you learn because of the repetitive situations of you learn how to do a handoff, a fake handoff, a pick, a slip, a repick, uh, you know, how to seal your own man to let a guy get to the basket. These are things that you learn without a coach necessarily having to tell you and then it becomes an even stronger way of learning it. I also think some of the some of it falls on coaches too. Like I think one of the things that I really that we stress, you know, we we put a lot of emphasis on development of the IQ. Right. And there are drills that we have that develop IQ. And and everybody knows what to do when they have it, the ball, but how many kids focus on what to do when they don't have it, how exactly. to position themselves in a position where when they catch it, are they a triple threat? Are they, a, when they catch, are they a fade feed, which I hate, you know, to me, we, we, the, the triple threat, triple threat. Are you in a position, do you know where to move off ball? Do you, are you hiding yourself? Are you covering yourself? You know, how many times you watch, you know, our zone, our zone defense that we run and we laugh all the time. We watch offenses line themselves up opposite my players. You know, one of the biggest emphasis for us in the zone is positioning ourselves in seams, making the defense search for us, you know, cutting through seams, cycling through, make sure we're balanced in seams, make sure we're, we're offset, make sure that, you know, different things that you have to have good IQ to, to be able to, to understand and how to cut. No and know I mean, I kind of look at IQ like, and, you know, you've got your athletic IQ from playing a lot of sports. You've got your small-sided IQ that, like, box players have of understanding how to just backdoor a guy, set a pick, slip, flip, all the little stuff that happens in pickup games. And then you got your big-picture IQ that really you, you need to either be watching film or having a coach coach you. And, um, and, you know, like I said, not everybody has the opportunity to be coached by a, a professional coach at the youth level. But the film is there, and the pickup games are there. And I say, I say this to everybody because not everybody, you know, somebody might be playing lacrosse in Iowa or some, some, some up-and-coming area. And if you want to be the best, you probably still could be, but you got to have to really study it. So, hey, Joe, um, this has been so awesome talking to you, picking your brain on stuff. I think that the listeners are going to be pumped up. Um, I want to wish you the best of luck this upcoming season with uh, Stony Brook um, and uh, your other five teams, uh, Crush, Bandits, uh, Lizards USA team and what's the name of your daughter's team? They're the Yellow Jackets, the 25s. The 25 Yellow our Jackets. Box, our box name is the Swarm, though. You know, so it's a little cross. Awesome, man, and good luck to your to your kids, to the seasons, all of the all of the above, and uh, thank you so much for your time.
Thanks, my man. Great to talk to you again. Talk All right, just take care, buddy. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information.